late 70s and early uh. 80s, the boom years of the video game industry. Thank you. And my game system was the Magnavox Odyssey 2. Yeah. Sleek, stylish, futuristic, and totally underappreciated. Oh, Let's change that. Do it, I'll dig through the Odyssey 2 library, introduce you to each game, offer a few of my own expanded memories of playing them both then and now, and we'll see if those games hold up today. Amazing. I'm Earl Green, and this is Select Game. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to Select Game, the expanded memories of the Odyssey 2 podcast from thelogbook.com. We've got another fun, short topic for you again this month, something to spark some conversation, some thought, uh, some kind of alternate history, alternate universe thinking, if you like. Um, just something a little bit fun. Third-party games for the Odyssey 2 and Video Pack were few and far between. In North America, the only third-party games that ever made it into stores were the two Imagic games, Demon Attack and Atlantis. Europe and South America not only got the Imagic games, but a quartet of Parker Brothers games as well. Of course, as we now know, there were other Parker Brothers titles waiting in the wings that never saw the light of day until much later, such as Tutankham and Spider-Man. When I was a kid, I wrote to the Odyssey Adventure magazine, the official fan club magazine published by North American Phillips, and asked why there weren't more third-party games, because, you know, I was already an avid reader of such publications as Electronic Games magazine, so I knew the difference between first- and third-party titles. The answer I got was kind of baffling, indicating that Phillips would carefully select game publishers and, quote, share the secrets of the Odyssey 2 video chip with them, Though the reality of it is, the publishers probably did their own market analysis to see if it was even worth trying to publish Odyssey 2 games before hitting North American Phillips up for any development material. And Magic was noted for being pretty platform agnostic. 2600, Intellivision, ColecoVision, various computers including machines as relatively obscure as the TI-99-4A, and Magic did it all. It was like they were on a mission to get their games onto every system out there. Parker Brothers was similarly platform agnostic. They had undoubtedly paid a heap of money to license arcade games like Cubert, Frogger, Super Cobra, and Popeye, so why not spread these games around as far and wide as possible to try to recoup that investment? So which other publishers should have given the Odyssey 2 a shot? What games of theirs would have translated well to the Odyssey 2? Now, I tried to brainstorm this with a very realistic expectation of what could be accomplished with the Odyssey 2 in mind. And with those limitations in place, I could really only come up with a few answers. But one or two of them might still surprise you. Activision's games really changed the playing field as far as the Atari 2600 ecosystem went, but they also pretty much invented the third-party video game software industry in 1980. And let's make no mistake, with its founding members consisting entirely of former Atari programmers, Activision was initially entirely dependent on the market for Atari 2600 games. There were versions of Pitfall and Stampede for the Intellivision, and Activision later spread its wings to publish games for other platforms and even home computer systems, but these were very much an afterthought. Activision was founded to make games for the Atari VCS. Now, with that in mind, it would not have surprised me to see Activision try to make, well, about as many Odyssey 2 titles as a Magic did. Two titles, let's say, to test the waters and see if there's a market there. 
very much like Activision's earliest forays into the Intellivision library, and very much like a Magic's two games, these probably would have been somewhat scaled-down versions of games that had already existed for other platforms. My gut tells me that Pitfall and Freeway would have been the most likely contenders, though I will also admit that this thinking on my part may be heavily influenced by the fact that Odyssey 2 homebrew programmers have proven that those two games could be done on Odyssey 2 hardware. Pitfall fans are strongly advised to check out Wildlife, while Freeway fans need look no further than Chris Reed's Traffic. I would think that Laser Blast would have been another likely contender for translation to the Odyssey 2, so really, the early, simple, less elaborate Activision games. But, due to the shrinking size of the North American user base of the Odyssey 2 by 1983 or so, it's probable that any attempt by Activision to step into the Odyssey 2 ecosystem would have lasted only two or three titles. This is a less obvious choice that really comes into sharper focus if you know what we now know about the relationship between North American Philips and Mattel Electronics, especially where the Odyssey 3 and the potential Odyssey 4 hardware were concerned. And if what I just said surprises you in any way, go back and listen to the select game podcast titled Who Killed the Odyssey 3? By the time the Imagic and Parker Brothers cartridges for the Odyssey 2 and video pack hit the stores, Philips and Mattel had already had some kind of discussions about joining forces on one hardware platform called the Odyssey 4 on paper, although the reality of it is that Intellivision probably had better brand recognition with the public. But software might have been a good place to test the waters of this relationship. M-Network was primarily a publishing label that translated Intellivision games into Atari 2600 form, because if Atari is the elephant that won't leave the room, why not take some of that audience's money? But what if M-Network had become a testbed for the Intellivision Odyssey partnership? Can you imagine an Odyssey 2 version of Tron Deadly Discs, or Lock and Chase, or a scaled-down version of Burger Time? Come to think of it, we do kind of have a test of what Tron Deadly Discs could have been like on the Odyssey 2, thanks to the homebrew Mr. Roboto, which was kind of equal parts Archon and Tron Deadly Discs. As odd as it may sound, this is a partnership that would have made perfect sense on paper. Sadly, the rapid contraction of the home video game market in 1983 not only denied us the Odyssey 3 and Odyssey 4, but it probably would have kept us from seeing M-Network's O2 face. Which would be totally different from its O face. I think. Never mind. This is my most way out there suggestion, but it makes a lot of sense. Why assume that the Odyssey 2 could only do arcade-style Twitch games? Now, yes, it would have been quite a technological stretch to squeeze Zork 1 onto a cartridge, to say nothing of squeezing its text onto screen after screen of a character grid that couldn't display any more letters than, say, type and tell. But in theory, it could still be done, and the Odyssey 2 would have been uniquely positioned for text adventures because of its keyboard. In the European market, the video pack was seen as both a game console and a low-end computer system, so why not? Insert cartridge, hit troll with sword, try not to be eaten by a Gru on your Odyssey 2. Chances are that any attempt by Infocom to wade into the Odyssey 2 software library would have been a one-off unless that first game was wildly successful. Which it could have been, because here would have been something virtually impossible to translate 
through the Atari or Intellivision platforms without significant compromises. And the only other platforms that could play such games were computer systems that cost significantly more than the Odyssey 2 did. It would have been as niche as the Odyssey 2's educational voice games or master strategy games, but it also would have gotten a lot of press attention. Kind of crazy thinking there, sure, but the Odyssey 2 was anything but a typical console. What publishers do you think could have found ways to work their titles into the limitations of the Odyssey 2? Let's hear some of your ideas in the comments, on the logbook.com's Facebook page, or on Twitter. I did get a lot of favorable feedback on the previous kind of short edition of Select Games, so between that and some significant limitations on my spare time, it could be that going forward Select Game will cover a single game in a somewhat shorter format, rather than trying to connect two or more games with a theme, which the show has done in the past. Hopefully this would also mean I could resume Select Game as a YouTube show as well as an audio podcast. Things are looking up, and I've had to work, save, and not spend or eat a whole lot to get to this point. Needless to say, anyone who feels like supporting the logbooks, podcasts, and YouTube projects, such as Phosphor.Fossils and hopefully the return of Select Game, any support is very much appreciated. We've got a Patreon at patreon.com slash thelogbook, or you can get us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash thelogbook. You can also get cool Odyssey 2 gear and other original designs on everything from t-shirts to face masks at thelogbook.redbubble.com. Support in all of these areas helps keep the shows going, and a huge thanks to our current Patreon supporters, Darwin and Cindy and Kevin and our buddy Paul from the Half Measures podcast, as well as past supporters like Javier and Mark, you all have saved my bacon more times than you probably realize over the past couple of years just by supporting me, and I wanted to give all of you a shout-out and a thank you. Select Game is a production of thelogbook.com. Sadly, the rapid contraction of the home video game market in 1983 not only denied us the Odyssey 3 and Odyssey 4, but it sent a train crashing through my podcast. But then there was trouble.